Our text is going to be John chapter 6, verses 59 through 71. This is the word of Almighty God. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And and yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now pray with me, friends. Lord, I simply ask that you will add your blessing, your spirit, your presence, your power to our reading and our learning, our study of your holy word. God, forgive us our weaknesses, focus us on you, and let us glorify Christ today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Truth often divides. I think you guys know that, right? Either people respond to the truth with gladness, or they reject it and they move away from it. And in today's passage of Scripture... We're about to see the results of Jesus speaking truth to the crowd at the synagogue in Capernaum. Remember, in John chapter 6, that's where we've been for several weeks now, Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 people on one side of the Sea of Galilee. Really, it was 5,000 men. There would have been more people. Jesus walked across the sea the night after that miracle. And the crowd followed him in boats to catch up with him at Capernaum. There, Jesus challenged them to stop seeking free food and start seeking eternal life. Then Jesus went on to teach the crowd many important truths about salvation. We've covered them over the last several weeks. Now, bundled into that teaching is glorious imagery The Passover is the backdrop of this chapter. And we see Jesus as the fulfillment of many of the Old Testament types and signs, feeding the 5,000, later calling himself the bread of life. Jesus reminds us of the manna that God sent to feed the Israelites in the desert. Jesus walking across the sea reminds us of God parting the Red Sea. Jesus promising that he would give his flesh for the life of the world reminds us of the Passover lamb who would be slain so that the people of God might live. Now today, we're going to see how the crowd responds. And there are going to be two 
very clear responses. One group of people will leave Jesus completely. The other group will follow. And as we see it, I don't doubt that you will have a similar choice to make. Will you follow Jesus when confronted with the truth? Or will you leave him? If you're a note taker, I want to tell you there'll be three points, but I want to warn you that point number one has three sub points. So you can tell me how many points the sermon really is. That doesn't count. Come on. Our first point, I never sneak points in on you. Believe Jesus's teaching. Believe Jesus's teaching. Look at verses 59 and 60. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What kind of teaching should be the bread and butter of a local church? (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people in modern churches who would tell you that the way that a church, a pastor, should choose what to preach is by learning what the lost people in the community are interested in and then crafting a message that the pastor hopes will meet those people's or appeal to those people's felt needs. The idea is to avoid the offensive parts of the faith and show everybody out there how much common ground we all share. You ever been to a church like that, by the way? Now, I want to be not mean about it. It's not like this is done from a a mean-hearted place. The pastor who does that is hoping to to bring people in. He wants to grow the congregation. He wants wants to, to have people maybe develop a willingness to embrace the gospel. There's some theological difficulties here, but it's not done out of a a mean spirit. But in John chapter 6, man, did Jesus have the opportunity to win a very large following if only he would reach out to the crowd based on their felt needs. Right? Over the past couple of days, Jesus was surrounded by a crowd of thousands They wanted some free food. And Jesus showed them he had the power to provide it. The crowd wanted an earthly king. They were willing to crown Jesus. You know what? If Jesus were to play his cards right, he'd have an army at his back in no time. And then comes the sermon. Jesus is not a felt needs preacher. He gives what we call the bread of life discourse. It spans verses 26 to 58 of John chapter 6, which means it's a lot shorter than my sermons. And it's not at all sensitive to the felt needs of the community around him. In fact, as Jesus finishes his teaching, The crowd in the synagogue is stunned. They they declare Jesus' teaching is difficult. They they say it's hard. Literally, it's it's harsh. It's, It's tough, like tough leather. They're offended 
by Jesus. They find his message unacceptable. And they want to know how it is anybody could stomach it. What's so offensive to this crowd? Well, the last thing Jesus talked about was he said that he's the bread of life and he said that you need to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have life. It was a metaphor, but it bugged the crowd. But if you look at the way Jesus responds in the next few verses, you're going to see that it's not just the icky flesh and blood references that bothered the crowd. It is his entire teaching about salvation that sets the crowd's teeth on edge. I want you to notice something, by the way, before we go further. Jesus uses, or we see the word disciples used here. And he's using the word disciples for the big crowd following Jesus around. Do you guys know that the word disciple literally means a follower? Somebody who follows another person around. That's what the word means. But when he talks about the people you and I think of as the 12 disciples, John simply refers to them here as the 12. So in this sermon, I'm going to call the big group of followers the crowd. That way we don't get our disciples mixed up, okay? Now, let's just talk for a second. As we study Scripture... There's different ways to learn from it, right? Every passage has one clear meaning, lots of ways to apply. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, man, they are clear. There are heartwarming truths about God, about God's grace. Obviously, you know what to do with them. Sometimes you see a command of God, you know you're supposed to follow it. Sometimes you read the Word of God. (laughs) You ever read the books of like Kings and Chronicles? Sometimes what you look at is you say, all right, this entire chapter is this dude messing up. And when you see the clear failures of people in the Bible, you can learn from and you can grow from that failure too, can't you? You can learn, hopefully, not to make the same mistakes other people make. This is one of the reasons I try to be so flawed in front of you so you guys can learn from my mistakes. It's intentional. Right, Ben? There you go. So, here in John chapter 6, we're going to learn from the failure of the crowd around Jesus. The crowd in Capernaum rejects the teaching of Jesus. Why? They're missing the point. If they miss the point, what should we do? We should get the point. See? It's not hard. How do you get the point? Well, if we know the crowd fails by rejecting the teaching of Jesus, it's good for us to understand and embrace the teaching of Jesus. So probably a good idea, if you were laying this chapter out, would be to review what Jesus taught so we can understand it and we can embrace it because the crowd messed up by rejecting it. With me so far? Well, Jesus is super helpful Because he's about to review his teaching for us and for the crowd. And I want to find three key things. These are our sub points. Three key things that Jesus has already taught the crowd. The crowd rejected it. We want to embrace it. So sub point A, if you're a 123 ABC kind of person, Jesus is God the Son come down from heaven. Sub point A, Jesus is God the Son come down from heaven. Look at verse 61, 62. Jesus said, 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So Jesus knows that the crowd in front of him has a problem with what he just said. So he asks them a question, and the question is not intended to assuage their troubled feelings. On the contrary, here, Jesus intends to point out that the crowd is wrong and Jesus is right. Jesus asks, what are you going to do when you see me ascend to where I was before? By this, the Savior means, what are you going to do when you see me return to my rightful place in heaven, sitting on the throne of the universe? Jesus is making it clear he came down to earth from heaven, that he's God the Son, and he's going to return to the throne over the universe, and he will reign forever. If you remember, the crowd was disturbed by Jesus' claim to have come down from heaven as the true bread from heaven. John 6, 38, back up in verse 38. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But then 41 So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I've come down from heaven? It's funny, the whole story was the crowd wanted Jesus to do a miracle to show that he's great, that he might be somewhere close to the level of Moses. Jesus declared himself to be much greater than Moses because he, Jesus, personally came down from heaven. He came from God. Moses was a man God chose to use. Jesus is greater. He's God the Son who came down to earth. And the crowd who believed they knew where Jesus came from, they couldn't accept that Jesus came to them from heaven. And you know what? Neither can many people who respond to Jesus today. A lot of people out there want to call Jesus a good teacher, good man, nice guy. Some people out there would even call Jesus a prophet. Listen, the only people who believe with Jesus about who Jesus is are the ones who say that Jesus came down to earth from heaven as God in the flesh. What do you think? How big a problem is it if you fail to identify Jesus rightly? Well, if you think Jesus is not God in the flesh, you're not going to be able to entrust your soul to him for salvation. Nobody less than God has either the power or the worth to save the souls of sinners from the wrath of God. No person other than God has the right to forgive us of our sins against God. That makes sense, right? I mean, if, I, if Anthony walked over and bopped Ben in the head and I said, don't worry, Anthony, I forgive you, something's missing, right? <laughs> Jesus has to be God or he cannot get your forgiveness. Either you believe Jesus is God 
or you don't have life in you. Obviously, the refusal to see that Jesus is God, that's a common problem in the world today, right? Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, Jews, all believe in one God to uh, one degree or another. But none of those groups accepts that Jesus is God the Son who came to earth and took on flesh to save his people from their sins. And if those groups refuse to believe that Jesus is God, a person in the Holy Trinity, there's no way we can say that they worship the same God as we do. They don't worship the God of the Bible. Belief in Jesus as God in the flesh is a dividing line that separates Christianity from every religion on earth. Let me add, by the way, just for the fun of it, it's not super explicit right here, but Jesus' words here are foreshadowing for us his death on the cross and his resurrection. The reader of this gospel has to know the way Jesus went back to heaven went through Calvary. Jesus died on the cross as the only acceptable sacrifice for human sin. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was perfect, proving that it was acceptable to God, proving that it accomplished the work that he came to do. Then, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven. He sat down on the throne of God, glorious and victorious. You want to get Jesus right? You've got to see that he's God in flesh who came down to earth, died for the sins of those he would save, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven. You miss this, you miss Jesus. Miss Jesus, you miss God. Subpoint B. Salvation is by grace through faith to eternal life. Salvation is by grace through faith to eternal life. Look at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So not only did Jesus offend this crowd by claiming he came down from heaven, he offended them by teaching them about the spiritual truth of salvation. First, he offended them by directing their attention away from earthly food toward the more important blessings of God's heavenly kingdom. Verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. If you're seeking Jesus because you want somebody to make your earthly life easy and full of riches and blessing, you're seeking Him wrongly. Jesus did not die for you so that your life could be made easy on earth. On the contrary, Jesus promises his followers what? Trials, persecutions. Did Jesus say, I promise you I'll never let them kill you? No, what did he say? They're gonna. Jesus promises his followers trials and persecutions because the lost world will hate them, which is not a seeker-friendly message at all. If only we had a church marquee, come and find out how to make people hate you. Probably not an inviting draw for a crowd, right? 
Jesus wants people to get their eyes off this earthly life, to put their hearts in eternity, spiritual life. The Spirit gives life. The, fre- the flesh counts for nothing. He's not telling you don't live in the here and now, but he's telling you don't love the world, love the Lord. The crowd was also probably offended with the fact that Jesus has said his words give life. They wanted to do good works in order to earn their way to God's favor. They wanted to participate in ceremonies that would get them into God's favor. John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's a lot of people who think that the way you get to God is doing your best. A lot of people out there, you say, you think you go to heaven when you die? They say, I tried to be a good person. (laughs) Can I tell you that really doesn't make a bit of difference? Just do what's right, they say, and you'll make it to heaven. Just follow these religious ceremonies and you'll be fine. Jesus says faith in Jesus is the only way into God's kingdom. And that strikes against the very nature of, of a selfish person. Selfish man wants to do things himself. Selfish woman wants to do things by her own will. We want to do it for our own glory. And for a person to have to entrust himself to Jesus alone with nothing else that they can add, that's tough. Then finally, for this little section here, this second, this subpoint, Jesus says the flesh is no help at all. It profits nothing. That's Jesus helping the crowd see. Look, if you were grossed out by the whole metaphor about eating the flesh, drinking the blood stuff, you've missed the point completely. It's the Spirit of God who leads us to true salvation. It's a salvation by grace through faith. It's not a result of you doing good works. It is certainly not the result of you doing anything with flesh and blood. They profit nothing. It's not a salvation that's going to bring you only earthly blessing. It's a salvation to eternal life with God in glory. If you want to be right with God, you've got to put your trust in Jesus. Then you'll be saved. Anything that goes beyond that Though it may seem logical to you, it may seem tempting to you, it's false. Again, point out, Jesus is not talking about any religious ceremony when he talks about eating the the, the bread of life, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. He's talking about receiving him by faith. You eat food for physical life. You believe in Jesus to take him into your very soul to receive spiritual life. So anybody who says that somebody's got to take part in any physical meal or any physical ceremony to have the grace of God is wrong. And, and yeah, I am including the Roman Catholic Mass in that. You're just not listening to Jesus here. The flesh profits nothing. Subpoint C, salvation is to the glory of God from start to finish. Salvation is to the glory of God from start to finish. 64 and 65, 
But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who didn't believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Y'all, Jesus knows everything. Does that surprise you? He knows who believes. He knows who doesn't believe. He knows who will betray him. The Bible leaves no room for what people call open theism, the idea that some people say God could never know the future decisions of his free creatures. Well, God says he does. Fact is, the Bible never limits the knowledge of God. Neither does the Bible give you and me the level of freedom we think we have. And in line with this thought, the final thing that offended the crowd was Jesus' teaching about the sovereignty of God and salvation. Jesus taught very clearly that those who believe in him do so because that belief was granted to them by his fathers. Right there in verse 65. He also taught nobody's going to believe without being brought there by his father. Look up at verse 37. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Or verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. Verse 65, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by my Father. Jesus is teaching that man is on his own incapable and unwilling to believe in him for eternal life. That strikes at the heart of our human pride. Because we in our flesh hate the notion that God would ever tell us that there's anything that we can't do without him doing it for us. It strikes at your pride to think there's something you have to have God to do. We especially can't imagine this in the teachings about salvation. But Jesus taught it very clearly. Salvation is a gift from God. It is something he gives us by faith, and that includes giving us the faith. If you're saved, it's completely because of God, and you can take no credit for it, not one iota. And God will finish the work that he started in you. If God saved you, he's strong enough to keep you. So Jesus taught in the discourse three major things. That he came down from heaven, that faith in him is what saves us, and that the faith we need comes to us from God because we're incapable of it on our own. The crowd rejected all three of those things. We must not. Jesus is always right. His ways are always perfect. So let us embrace what Jesus taught, even when the crowds did not. Now, second main point. Second main point. Decide to follow Jesus. Decide to follow Jesus. Look at 66 to 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The crowds that followed Jesus to the synagogue in Capernaum, they are completely turned off by Jesus' teaching. It's as if Jesus looked at the crowd, looked into their heart, read what offended them about what he was teaching, and then he reiterated those particular points in verses 61 through 65. Is that because Jesus is just a big meanie? No. Listen. Jesus is super loving. He's incredibly merciful. But Jesus will not ever allow sinful mankind to make our own rules. Jesus is God, and God is in charge. Sadly, Jesus' words offended the people because he taught things they were unwilling to believe. And you've got to feel the weight of this moment. Just yesterday, maybe there were 20,000 people, if you include women and children, out there on the hillside listening to Jesus' teaching. Don't know how many of that group followed him to Capernaum, but now he goes to Capernaum, and after one sermon, that crowd, the entire massive crowd walks away. That's a way for a pastor to get fired. Jesus valued the true gospel the word, the ways, the glory of Almighty God above building a following. Did Jesus' words make you want to leave too? Does Christianity not add up to what you want it to? Are you turned off by the fact that it's not about blessings on earth, but it's about eternal blessing? Are are you turned off by the fact that it's not about you being good, but about you trusting Jesus? You're turned off by the fact that you've got to believe that Jesus is more than a good moral teacher. He is your God come to earth from heaven. He's the Lord you must follow. Are you turned off by the fact that Jesus saves, not through some moral example, but through his flesh and blood sacrifice to rescue you from the wrath of God for your sins? Are you turned off by the fact that God says that all the people who will be saved are those he chose to give his son as a gift? Are you turned off by the fact that God says he has to draw you, drag you to the point that your blinded eyes would recognize the truth about Jesus and receive it? Does it turn you off that salvation is about God from start to finish? Does it make you want a different religion? Does it make you want a different God? Does it make you think you can do it better than God did it? Those are the things that turned off the crowd. And the crowd decided to turn away from Jesus. And some of you here this morning may choose to do the very same thing. But can I give you a simple, and I mean this from my heart, loving, I hope friendly warning? That would be a very dangerous choice. To choose to turn away from Jesus would be for you to choose to walk away from the only way you have to escape the wrath of God. 
Walking away from Jesus is walking away from the only Savior you've got available. It's walking away from God because you want God to play by your rules instead of you submitting to his. It's walking away from salvation into damnation. And I urge you, don't make that choice. There is another option. Jesus turns and says, would you guys like to go away too? Let me let you in on something. Jesus did not ask that question because he wanted to know what they were going to do. He knew. He knew the hearts of his disciples. He knows people fully. We see that in verse 64. Jesus asked them so they could answer the question for themselves. In fact, he asked it in such a way, it's like, you don't want to go away too, do you? He knew they didn't. And Peter responds to the question well. We've been picking on Peter in Sunday school, so it's good to have him be right here, isn't it? Peter responds by affirming two of the three truths that the crowd left over. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus is the only way to God. Peter knows it. Jesus is the only one who has the words of truth that lead to eternal life. Peter acknowledges it. And then Peter says, only Jesus. He, he's got, you've got the words of eternal life. Peter is willing to believe that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. Right? Jesus said, I want you to believe in me to have life. I demand that you have faith. It's not about religious ceremonies. It's not by acts of the flesh that you get saved. Peter hears that call. That call turns the crowd away from Jesus. Peter's like, I'm in. You've got the words of eternal life. Then Peter says, he and the disciples have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Believed and come to know. That's a statement of faith in Jesus, y'all. It echoes what Jesus called the crowds to do. Up in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Jesus called the crowd to behold and believe. Peter says that they have believed and come to know. Peter's expressing faith in Jesus, the kind of faith that was given by God and brings salvation. And then Peter said they believed and came to know that Jesus was what? The Holy One of God. That's Peter expressing belief in the very first thing about which the crowd grumbled. They did not, they could not believe that Jesus came down from heaven. They couldn't believe that Jesus was greater than Moses. They couldn't believe that Jesus is more than just a man. He's God in the flesh. And Peter, though he probably didn't have it all figured out yet... He declares Jesus is the Holy One of God. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you will do one of two things today. Either you will turn away from Jesus like the crowds did, or you will turn to Jesus like Peter did. Either way, you're going to make a choice today. If you say, I'm going to make no choice, that is you making a negative choice. If you make no choice, you say no to Jesus today. I urge you, don't do that. Turn to Jesus today. Believe that Jesus is God made flesh. Believe that faith in Jesus saves. Put your trust in Jesus for eternal life and yield your whole self to Jesus. And finally, point number three. Glorify Jesus in salvation. Verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, 
for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now, Peter told us Jesus came down from heaven. Peter acknowledged that faith in Jesus brings eternal life. The only thing Peter didn't talk about was the sovereignty of God in salvation. He didn't argue against it. He just didn't come out of his mouth. But isn't it just like God to order the word in such a way that that third point finds its way into the text before the chapter closes? Now it's on the lips of Jesus. Did I not choose you? Of course he did. He chose those guys long before they could ever choose him. The teaching comes full circle. Jesus fills in the gaps. And just in case somebody's a clever arguer and wants to say, hey, Judas is with them. Did Jesus choose him too? Oh, that messes up your doctrine. Isn't it neat to watch Jesus just cut that objection off at the knees? He's like, look, I know one of you guys is the devil. He's an enemy. John lets us know in case we don't already know the ending of the story. little spoiler here. Jesus meant Judas the betrayer. The knowledge of Jesus is not limited. Neither is the sovereignty of God. He chooses his followers. And so if you are his follower, and many of you here today are already followers of Jesus, if you are his followers, you ought to glorify him because you would have never chosen him unless he first chose you. So give him praise Give him thanks. Give him glory for doing that supernatural work in your heart. Your salvation is from God. It's for God. It's about God from the very start to the very finish and everything in between. Jesus taught three major truths about salvation in John 6. God reiterates them two times at the end of this chapter. Three truths, three times. Ladies and gentlemen, if God saw fit to share those with us in that way, we ought to recognize they're probably important. They're true. We better believe them. Jesus is the Son of God who came down from heaven to save us from our sins. We are truly only saved when we have faith in Jesus, not as as a result of any works or any ceremonies performed in the flesh, And God truly is sovereign. He chose us. He brought us to himself. He'll keep us for eternity because salvation is about Jesus and his glory from start to finish. So let's believe in Jesus. Don't be like that hostile crowd that turned away from him. Don't be like a crowd that turned their back on God because they didn't like the way God was doing things. Turn to Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and give him the glory for any salvation anyone has ever received. Let's pray together, friends. God, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for grace. And Lord, I would ask you that as we've opened your word today, I pray it's been faithful. And I pray, Lord, that you will let it, just dig in deep in our hearts that we would glorify you completely, that we would focus on you, that we would give you the glory. God, be magnified, be glorified. If anybody here doesn't know you, don't let them turn from you, draw them to yourself. For our family members and our friends who don't know you, 
draw them to yourself. And for us who do know you, let us remember, let us believe, let us yield, let us worship, let us give thanks, let us give you the glory. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.